As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. Typically, this is not typical, some would say atypical. We're broadcasting out of home studios because this is yet another edition of Android's Dungeon Pandemic War Room Edition. Except it feels really pathetic because, Joel, I don't know if you've been keeping up with current events, but uh, as far as I know... Uh, this is pretty weak, weak pandemic at the moment. Back. Did you say something? You can't hear me. I heard that. Oh, I heard no. you say something like "blah," and then the sound <laughs> of like a smoothie hitting the desk. <laughs> no, no, no smoothie. I said, "What are we? Seventy percent faxed." I just heard the vax part. I have no idea. I think. Uh oh, I'm cutting out. You're you're good now, I think. Maybe it was just uh, the smoothie that was interfering. You know, the the smoothie's on the table. No smoothie. <laughs> There's been no smoothie action. Only only hard liquor is allowed. <laughs> oh my to be lord, sir! <laughs> <laughs> Keep the smoothie away. What have you been up to, Joel? What have you been playing recently? I've been playing Age of Empires two. <laughs> I mean, we've been playing actually quite a few games together, haven't we? Yeah, we've got a fair amount to talk about there, but let's let's do the solo stuff. Uh, let's get that out of the way because I know you mentioned something about Age of Empires the other day, and you, like you haven't played oh, this hard. game before, and you immediately cranked it up to the hard difficulty, which is an interesting choice. Oh, I've played it, but I was like oh. twelve, you know. Oh, okay. I thought this was a, a long time. Was there a recent one? Like, am I thinking of Age of Empires three that came out more recently, or am I nuts? Yeah, not too long ago. But Age of Empires 2 is kind of like the definitive edition, kind of like StarCraft Brood War. Yeah. Let's check out 3. 3 was released in... 2005. Mm. Mm. So it's 16 <laughs> years old. <laughs> it's forgivable, I suppose. It's practically brand new. Well, I've, I've um, only played like a little bit of the first one. That's it. Was there a form? No. Oh, upcoming. Fourth installment e was announced at E3 2021. Wow. <laughs> Who knew? New Age of Empires. That's cool. But yeah, Age of Empires yeah. 2 is called Age of Kings. And it was like it was like credited with like a lot of kids passing their history test. Yeah. <laughs> like very in depth when yeah. it came to the history. Anyway, the last mission that I played, I get this checklist in the top right. It's like all the things you must accomplish before finishing the mission. It's like, you know, defend X castle, and you begin the thing with like, you know, a whole bunch of ships coming to try to destroy your castle, and you have to defend it. That part's easy. Then after that, you've got to somehow recover from like every single one of your little peripheral bases being destroyed. Set yourself up again, you know, get out there, try to get some gold and some stone, tech up to tier four, and then counterattack. No problem. You have this kind of like quasi ally. He's like the Emir. 
and he's next to you, and you can trade with him, but he doesn't help you at all. He just mm-hmm. kind of floats around. But he's huge. So I was complaining, I think, at the beginning of this mission to you. I've now since finished it. And lo and behold, when you finally finish that massive checklist and you kill the pirates that have been raiding you, he turns on you. Oh! (laughs) And the more stuff you've been doing interacting with him and showing him stuff, the harder he is to kill. So obviously, if you were to play it a second time around, you just wouldn't trust him. But I didn't know that. (laughs) Man, that was a tough fight. Especially because I had like kind of like called it in at that point because at when at a certain point when you've won you're just kind of throwing units at the enemy just because you don't care about Mike or anything like that you know you're yeah. gonna win yeah but you know gold is a very finite resource in the game and once you've mined all that out on the map you can't gain any more but the computer still can make its units it doesn't need to actually get resources really like, so it doesn't need to find gold but once you've mined out the map then you have to buy all the cheap units that don't cost gold. And then yeah. you just kind of make these waves of garbage Axemen or something and throw them at their you know, their walls and their siege engines and everything forever. But What would happen? Are you even allowed to target him beforehand or will you go hostile? No, you can't. Well, no, I, don't, I think you can change alliances. You can actually go into the top right, open up the menu and say allied with or enemy of. Yeah, yeah. Because that's kind of the function that you can implement in a multiplayer game where so you could actually be an ally with a human, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you're allies, you share maps, and I think you can be neutral, in which case your units won't automatically attack each other, or enemies, which means your units are looking for each other, and if you attack move, they'll go right into each other. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a good game. Still a great game, one of the best real-time strategies ever i don't know what inspired me to start the campaign on the hardest difficulty and try to go through it i think i've done it with starcraft a few times and it was a lot of fun so i thought you know age of empires was a rts i really enjoyed maybe i'll load it up and see if i like it i think it plays better multiplayer if it plays really well just you know solo against random bots but the campaign is tough but it is a famous campaign. Like, obviously, people playing on easy mode. But like I said, it's got really in-depth historical lessons in it. Mm. It seems like it's one of those games that, like you're saying, you, you've come back to it, but would you have started it if you hadn't played it back in the day? No. Like, definitely, like, wouldn't be like, oh, Age of Empires 2 is something I've heard of. Yeah. It's more like, it's definitely major nostalgia effect. But also, like, I trust it as a... As a title like well that's it too nobody wants to remember yeah i was just gonna say nobody wants to waste their time with like an unproven rts because balance and like flow is so important in those games and that's why like the good ones stick and the bad ones just like fall to the wayside very exactly what i was gonna say is the the balance is there and that's what's key yeah that genre is just dead at the moment i i don't know if it's just because it's so much work to make it like happen or if it's well, because, why would like, you when you could make a roguelike or a battle royale? Or you, you forgot about the uh, the roguelike uh, battle royale. <laughs> I was going to say the MOBA. The, uh, oh the yeah, good old MOBAs. But you don't even need to make those. Like They're all already made. 
Yeah, we've already like, <laughs> what what innovation can you make as far as MOBAs go? Because which because ultimately, I'd argue they are the evolution of the RTS. It is the ultimate Maybe. singular micromanagement simulation possible. It, it's you're moving around. But the RTS has such good macro. I love <laughs> There's very little ma- like they've automated the macro. They have taken care of the units that are That's being true. produced and being sent to the enemy, and it is up to you to assist them as directly as possible. I suppose you could argue that you know managing your money and choosing builds is a form of macro because you're gaining uh, currency in the gold that you gain from killing enemies and towers and all that, and then you're choosing how to use that. It's not necessarily a true macro situation, but there's an economy there. Yeah, there's definitely the economy, and I I know what you're saying, but it it almost feels like at what point do you abstract something to such a point that it's like this? Like if there are two decisions, the the broader decision is just considered the macro, and the the, the more <laughs> narrow one is considered the micro, just in this arbitrary sort of we have to label it in one way. So which one feels larger? Which one feels smaller? What okay. would be the ultimate macro game? <laughs> well, I, I was thought roller coaster tycoon, like any of those simulations. You build a thing; for... it's not time based in the slightest. There's no uh, movement. Yes no. You yes. just build stuff and then you let it go, and you see how it goes. I mean, you can always pause those sims, yeah. right? So, I mean, I was like at this... first I was thinking maybe um, civilization, but civilization you do you still do move around your units turn by turn. Yeah. The I, I think you would like you you were spot on when you said that the the simulations like let's say um, roller coaster tycoon Sim City theme park etc. You have no control over the people where they go. Yeah, and what you, can, you can. Well, you can argue that you can like, funnel them and stuff. Traffic, but yeah, but it's ultimately the simulations running, and it's up to you to create the macro conditions for the 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 micro which is out of your control to occur. Beneath the yeah. hood, I suppose. Or, Which is funny know. because those games are still really popular too. Yes and so, no. It, it's funny you mention that because please go on. What were you gonna say? Well, I was gonna say RTS is kind of a marriage of those two elements, it, and it's, it's fighting. They yeah. just broken back off again. Well, people it's... love, still love cities, skylines, and yeah, like this. city skylines for sure. That's that's even more micro than um, Sim City because it focuses more on the traffic uh, portion, like of mm-hmm. like yeah you. Mm-hmm send cars throughout your cities um <laughs> and i i think like planet coaster is pretty popular which is just but it almost feels like there are a couple of games that they just broke the mold and they've been recreating <laughs> over and over to some degree and i think SimCity uh 3000 or 2000 arguably but i'd say 3000 um and uh roller coaster tycoon and uh, I don't know, a theme park. but There's so many of those different Sims, like Sim Hospital, Sim, Sim Tower, um, Sim, 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 down the line. Like the, yeah. the weirder Sims seem to have fallen by the wayside when you think that this, the time is ripe for like Sim Ant or Sim something else to... Yeah. But they've just been replaced by like PC Building Simulator, Thief Simulator, Trucker uh, Simulator, uh, Truck Simulator, <laughs> Farm Simulator. It, it's like... Just t- pick your niche. That's that in that extremely particularly minded people would enjoy, and go from there. So all oh, the we- this weird meme, like yesterday maybe I almost sent to you, and then I thought, eh, it's not worth it. Mm. But it was like PlayStation bragging about their exclusives, mm-hmm. and being like Xbox. Do you even have any exclusives anymore? 
Yeah. And Xbox being like, farm simulator. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's an Xbox exclusive still. I had no idea. I thought I thought it was on the PC. I assumed it was on PC, but maybe yeah. it's a specific farming simulator that only Xbox has. It's the console war stuff is it feels so nostalgic uh because it's it just it's something that just Nintendo has their own thing, even though that doesn't feel strong anymore because a lot of the stuff that Speaking was of on, consoles and, and makes its way you know, releases uh PS five exclusive possible coming. Can you explain what that heck that subreddit was that you sent to me? Because I read the summary that you sent me and yeah. I got, you know, like kind of two thirds of the idea. But I'm just wondering like why do people care so much? Why is everybody so um passionate <laughs> about this company and what they're making. So for people who don't know, I sent Joel a link to the subreddit called the Blue Box Conspiracy. R slash the blue box conspiracy. As soon as you go to it, if you look at the header, you get a perfect taste of the insanity right away. And uh it is it revolves around a company called a uh blue box oh geez. Um, Blue Box Studio, Blue Box uh, Games, I don't know, something like that. Um, and which is a, as far as people are concerned, is a no, nothing company. Nobody's ever heard of them. They, they have a failed Kickstarter. They have some shovelware that appears to be on, like, the, the floating around the internet. Um, but I, I, essentially, people have pieced together enough bizarre information that this guy, apparently the guy running the studio is this Turk named Hassan Karaman, and they started to look, and he claims to be partnered with Sony, not just in the sense of some guy who has a game that's on the PlayStation Store, but that is getting direct financial assistance and guidance from one of the biggest companies in the world, known for their media empires and their their console games, and like, well, I, I say console, but like, I'll just say. So anyway, these people are digging. They're finding all these connections between the, this this company that supposedly has nobody, and also who's making this outlandish claim that he has two hundred fifty thousand dollars in in funding to make a triple A or double A game that's at four K resolution and is going to be on the the PlayStation Store as an exclusive or something like this. And everyone's going, "This is nonsense! This is nonsense!" And then all of a sudden, you get weird stuff like um, Kojima Productions. Uh, like liking one of these tweets out of nowhere and then unliking it and you wouldn't be able to catch it unless somebody noticed and was able to check like go back through the records and see what's been liked and unliked and then you have somebody throwing in uh, I believe uh, Karaman or I think they started with Hideo and they started so they went from Japanese to Turkish and Hideo to Turkish turns into Karaman <laughs> and some they were saying oh no this is, it can't be this is too crazy and so every time something is disproven, so like there was an interview done with this by this goofball Jason Schreer, Schreer who works for Bloomberg, I think Kotaku and the rest, and he interviewed Hassan, and Hassan said, "No, this is this is nothing. This is I'm not connected. This is just, I don't know where people are getting from." And as soon as something like that happens, oh, all yeah. of a sudden another domino falls down somewhere else and people are saying, "What? Look at this. This makes sense. How come all the employees of his company are stock photos? They're not real." And little things just, and then people go back and say, this isn't right. Something's weird. And there's this, supposedly on Friday, there's going to, supposed to be some reveal that's going to really affect people's impression of this little such. And the, the subreddit is split. You can put down flair on yourself that are you team real, team fake, or team chaos? <laughs> and whether he's just 
and some people believe that he's just way in way over his head and he's just some poor guy who's just he doesn't know what he's doing but the and this is what i was trying to tell joel before is that nobody would care except for two things the first big one is that sound hill fans have been disappointed for years and years and years we've been handed garbage we've had games canceled now you're desperately searching through the woods <laughs> we're desperately desperately searching through the woods because we were and this is related to um part two we were handed possibly one of the greatest setups in the world for one of, like the the ultimate sequel the ultimate reboot to a series that's been beloved um which was in the form of pt uh, playable teaser, which was released mysteriously by an unknown studio onto the PlayStation Store way back in the day, and people played it. And it was this, it, it was this incredible-looking horror game that was actually scary, that took tons of time to solve and had puzzles. And when you eventually solved it, when people eventually figured out this weird random series of connections, it finished with a reveal of Silent Hills by starring Norman Reedus and it had Hideo Kojima and Genji Ito, the, the writer of Uzumaki, working alongside. And people were just, it's, it's happening. It's a dream come true. <laughs> it, not, it can't get solved in this. And then Konami and Kojima apparently got in a huge fight and they fired him and he formed his own studio and the project was canceled. It was killed. Uh, so you have that and then you also have the fact that uh, for... Um, for Metal Gear Solid 2, there was this giant conspiracy where he tricked people about, they all thought you were going to be playing as a Solid Snake, and then it turned out, no, you're playing as this uh, uh, Fujoshi-looking uh, effeminate <laughs> kind of soft boy named Raiden the entire time, and uh, th all these other little tricks here and there that he's just played on people, and Metal Gear Solid 5 is a big one where he created, again, a fake studio. Joel, does this sound familiar? A fake studio with a fake head of the studio who's doing fake interviews with people with entirely fake names of games only as a big deception for the actual game itself to build a pipe and just because he likes playing games with people. Like, so that is why... If it worked then, it's working now. That is why people are suspicious. And the, the, the general line that I agree with is that even if it isn't a Silent Hill game, even if Kojima's not involved, it, it's interesting at least because it's just one of these things that the closer you look at it, the, the second you think it's fake and you're just staring too closely, another piece falls into place, and it just pulls you right back in, and it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So I highly recommend anyone who's <laughs> dedicated enough to check out the Blue Box Conspiracy Reddit. I mean, the way I see it, like, whatever team is winning, the real winner is whoever is behind this, because either it's this random guy who's yeah. not real, and he's made a fake company with a whole bunch of what was it 50 developers mm -hmm. we're all also fake but he's pulled the wool over so many people's eyes that he's just like gonna be a legend and he could probably just do anything and people would buy it yeah or that's part of it on the other side it's kojima doing this again with some you know shenanigans just like metal gear 5 in which case he's winning yeah, because he's getting tons of free hype, and they're gonna be like, "We well, we figured you out," and he's like, "All right, eighty dollars pre buy, let's go." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, the only the only issue I'll take with that, Joel, is when you say tons of free hype. 
that's, I, I don't I know. Some free hype from Jack and three other people on this thread. Well, to be fair, there there are fifty five hundred fifty four people reading it right now, and six thousand people have subscribed. So that those are decent numbers go. to get some attention in. Yeah, some numbers. Uh, but you're you're absolutely right, and and ultimately, is it entertaining? Yes, and uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, and and like I said before, as a long suffering fan of a franchise that has given me so many strong memories and influence so much of my uh, my own creativity it's it's just a shame to see it languishing and it would be great to have somebody with genuine creativity and interesting ideas grab hold of it and to, like drag it kicking kicking and screaming into uh, the year of our lord 2021 or it'll probably be a long time before anything happens but that's where we are maybe maybe there's also another alternative here which is this yep. is all on board yeah. It's all legitimate stuff. Yep. Uh, you know, Kojima has outsourced to a, a, a company in the Netherlands who's going to be a new, refreshing take. They're taking a chance on a company that's never made a game. <laughs> you know, because they, you know, they're the Japanese are known for taking big risks and Battle outsourcing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how that uh, works. But, you know, yeah, like there's also like a happy. Uh, carefree story here, which is everybody on the internet is wrong, and, and you know it's like uh, it's like Mar- Marvel and Disney taking a chance on Taika Waititi, you know, and they're going to get a, a Thor Ragnarok of the game. <laughs> sure, you know, it's, it's, it's all, whatever, whatever happens, some, as long as some it's good. Nobody, some nobody Kiwi director. Yeah, if we could get nobody nobody game director could make a good game i'd take it in two seconds which is actually how goldeneye kind of got made because they just handed the the project to a bunch of uh weirdos and they just made one of the greatest games of all time so there you go that's they're, that's, that's what happen. they're doing jack that's is they're not... making the best silent hill of all time and you're oh, gonna don't. have it in your hands don't. and it's gonna be free <laughs> yes. they're gonna say you know what you guys you've been waiting you fans you've had a lo- a tough time yeah. Go ahead and have a play. <laughs> have a play, buddy. Relax. You learned it. Yeah. Your patience has been rewarded as a consumer. Um, okay, why don't we take a musical break and we'll come back to talk about what we've played because we've got a lot to talk about. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Comes 
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Just Another Day by Oingo Boingo. Off the album Dead Man's Party, I believe. Uh, yep. Forget what year it is. Uh, I can sing it. Just another day. <laughs> yeah, how did you... 85, wow. Another day on the road, another man <laughs> in the journey. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, boy. A little rap breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a nice nineteen eighties, like early nineties rap that you just did there, Joel. It was frustrating. <laughs> uh, and now it's on the radio. And now it's on the radio. That's that, I think that counts <laughs> that as means it's syndicated. <laughs> yeah. syndicated. I can now record it. I think you'll get your uh, uh, fraction of a penny of a fraction of a penny from the uh, CR uh, CRTC or uh, whoever's responsible for SoCan for handing out music to Canadian artists. Straight to Bad Boy Records. <laughs> I thought you were more of an epitaph, man, you know? Shady Records. Shady, just any of those. Joel's killed in a drive-by shooting in 10 years. <laughs> Never, no one's surprised. Unrelated. We all dude. saw it coming. It all started in that <laughs> episode of Android Dungeon, June 23rd, 2021. Rap career. He's all extra bold after getting his second shot. Thought he was invincible. They... they... Hail of gunfire on Jane and Finch brought him down to earth. But yeah, uh, we we've been playing a lot of games recently. Excuse me, and uh, why don't we, we we might as well just jump with the 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 big one? We got to get some people together for um, a kind of a headliner of a game on Saturday. Uh, we got to play eighteen mechs together at five players, and I, I need to put we in quotation marks here because uh, I actually was kind of administrating this game. But so I'll let you. Describe the experience because yeah, I didn't I think realize it was more... a five-player game until uh, I, I miscounted. To be honest, I, I think I was thinking yeah. of eighteen um, thirty. Six as well. Yeah, that's funny because yeah. in my mind it was six, and then we all sat down, and you're like, "Oh no, don't worry." And I was like, "Oh, well, you definitely would have played if you could have." Yeah, well, it, it happens. It's my fault anyway. But uh, what did you describe the experience? Because I don't think we need to jump into it too deep. Beyond, it's an eighteen XX game that's set in Mexico. Full cap, fifty percent to float a company, and the that's that's basically the rules. There's a couple of little things here and there. We've talked about eighteen XX enough that if you don't know what an eighteen XX is or how it works, just listen to one of our previous episodes. Yep, <laughs> there's tons of them that start with eighteen at this point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go do your homework, you bum. <laughs> it's aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Just come straight at him. Um, I had a really good game, obviously. I had lots of fun and also did really well. Um, I did feel like a little bit of a shark in that game with those guys. I mean, I know they've played a lot, but like, I just feel like me and you um, butt heads pretty evenly. I, th- I would even say that you're ahead of me by quite a bit. Uh, but like, not so much that I don't have a chance. Right, like if I'm playing one on one against Y, I think I'm host. Uh, playing against you, like I feel like we always have a good battle mm-hmm. in 18xx games. Mm-hmm. But like me and you have done a lot more research. We've done a lot more time outside of the game, learning about the games, the strategies, everything like that. And I think what I did in that game was I implemented two of the things from that podcast, and they worked so well uh, that like. I just kind of ran away with it. I think I was ahead by like 
1500 bucks by the end or something it was, like a, that? It was a huge advantage or a huge edge so the the two things that i implemented just in case you're curious were um never withhold which is not like a rule per se i'm sure there's a lot of people that withhold but that it is generally believed to be better not to if you can and i was able to create a situation where not only was i able to you know ditch a company and pick up another company but that it kind of worked linearly where the first company i had and the second company i had all worked towards helping that third company mm -hmm. get going as quickly as possible and then it was just making ridiculous cash the second thing that i tried um in this one was to try to have as many president shares as you can but then i realized with that last company i bought that even if i bought the president share as soon as somebody took a third share in that company i would lose it <laughs> but then i started to wonder and this is a good question for you what happens if you're at your cap and you have a president share and you get out presidented and then you end up with two single shares then you're over the limit you got a discard so at what point do you do that is it on your next stock turn and when you do that do no, you i'm sell? pretty sure it's immediate i think it's immediate it might be at the end of the stock round but i'm pretty sure it's it's instantly and so what do you have to do just sell one of the stocks yeah you got to sell a share to go down to your limit now here's the other question if your stock is worth nothing until it's loaded and somebody has three shares but it's not floated yet what do you sell it for whatever the par price is yeah i guess the par price but it is kind of like like it's almost as if it has zero value because if the game ended you don't get to count it towards your stocks yeah or your total hey, value those are good questions it's uh but it's i guess it's more arbitrary you know what the rule is which is sell it immediately for par price yeah like i'd have to double check but it's 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 odd because those that really haven't come up before and i think part of the issue is when you play at higher player counts the certificate limits lo way lower and that's where you're going to end up in those types of situations um i don't know now you make me want to go and double check <laughs> well don't worry yeah, about it we can we can it, take a look at it after i'm pretty sure it's come up before and i'm not going to do it right now that's for bloody sure but uh yeah. The, the main thing that I thought, Joel, is like the presidency share thing I'm on the fence about. I don't know. The, to me, that sounds a little questionable. The, the one that I really thought you, I was shocked people let you do it, was grabbing 60% of that one late game company. Yep. And I, I, I think people just weren't paying attention. Because, I think the, the, fed, the uh, feds were out and people were dropping their money on that. On yeah, the but the, you get, there was, they, were, they lasted one round. So you could have had 30% of yeah, the... True that company and then i don't know what people were doing i think mark was doing some other stuff with some other companies and um yeah i, I, I mean i guess that maybe they wanted to see it run first but yeah it was wild how much i was able to grab because i think that that's to me that that was a frustrating thing to kind of watch was seeing uh, grab 60 percent of a late game company when in reality one of the frustrating parts of the game is typically no one lets you get away with that and that it's yeah. like, oh, that's a nice company. All right, well, you have 10% extra shares on it. Great. Exactly. It's like it's me like, running the feds, right? The better I run yeah. the feds, I just make the same amount for like three people and slightly less for two. Exactly. Yeah, you just want to hop on board so that you're not behind. That's the main thing. So you reach a point in that game that 
um, especially in your, your big dump of the, um, I think, the Mexican Central. I think that's what it was. Yep. Um, it, it really just kind of, it, it smoked Jason for sure Yeah. Um, out of that. But the, uh, especially because he couldn't grab all the extra shares. Like, he couldn't grab, like, a 60% off that because... But then I, Mark did, like, buy that out of him or buy it out from him. Yeah, and he and he smartly merged it, and that was the cool part. Yeah. I was really happy to see him merge it because that was yeah. going to become an albatross quickly. And oh, instead, yeah. he he turned it into an extra ten percent share, I think, of the um, of the NDM, which was really cool. And I think if he had played his cards right, because he what he did wrong was that if he had bought another share of the NDM, he could have taken presidency of it when the merger came around. But he, for some reason, I think he bought something else, and it, it's fine. It worked out almost. It, the, the exact same. I don't think it was going to make or break his game by any stretch. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just great to have a bunch of uh, get you playing one of those games in person for once, and it was good to get Jason to try it too. I don't know how much he loved it or not. I think he was deeply confused for a good chunk of it, but who knows? Maybe it's one of those things that sat, would sit with you later and you'd be excited to try it again. Um, it was just, he just always had this bewildered look on his face for the game, and I wasn't sure if there was... Yeah, I'll have to ask him about what he thought of it. Yeah. I will say the other, the one, the last thing that was just, like, situational and nothing that I did, but the twos stuck around forever. Oh, my God, they just didn't go anywhere. allowed me to run that one company for, like, 250, whatever. And then the, and then the threes stuck around forever. I couldn't Which believe how long it lasted. Have all these fours and f- threes, fours and fives in those uh, in those two companies. Which is yet a- another example of the if somebody's doing really well in these things and you don't have more shares in them, you are behind, and it is your interest to get those trains rolling. Get the trains rolling and force them to make some hard choices. And uh, anyway, it it, it it was a very <laughs> it was fun to watch, <laughs> and it was it was yeah, it was a good game. It, Everything. it was way longer than I expected it to be, though. That's my only criticism. True, yeah. And that's part of it was just people weren't buying trains. They weren't starting companies. There were two companies that never got started. Like, how often do you see that in a five-player game where two companies don't start? It. You know what, Joel? I wish I could say it's uncommon. Um, but I think the thing is when people are at like, low certificate limits and people just being happy to kind of like coast around but you're right it's just it speaks to a yeah, lack of aggression Sam did play inv- investor the yeah. whole game intentionally didn't take a company so yeah yeah uh anyway 18 max great to get it on the table again it's never a uh never unwelcome uh after that we played uh, a couple of lighter games we got to play some uh you got to Play first contact, which was the code names alien game, and then we did, uh, or we we did um, uh, fruit game, fruit word game. What's it called again? <laughs> what is right behind me? Letter jam. We got to play letter jam <laughs> and uh, fruit word game, and I, that that kind of cleared out the uh, the night. I don't think I'm forgetting anything there. Um, and and that was uh, the the Sunday together. We, Kale and I later though, or the the next day, Kale and I got to uh, in the morning. We got to play a game that's been sitting on my shelf for a while, uh, not a long time as far as shelf of shame goes. And this is something I posted in the Guelph board game group. If anyone is interested, join that group. Everyone's welcome. Uh, just post your favorite games, ask about games, talk about games, whatever. 
And anyway, the the game I got to try out with Kayla was called The Shores of Tripoli. And it is a two-player, you can play it solo, uh, but we'll, say, we'll call it a two-player card-driven war game by a, game, a company called Fort Circle Games. And they focus on historical military games because they, they have a very strong sort of military background to them. I, who knows whether it's like a bunch of ex-army guys or ex-navy guys or what, but uh, that's their background. Anyway, the premise of Shores of Tripoli is it takes place in uh, the early 1800s, I believe between 1801 to 1805. Um, and it is following the end of the Revolutionary War where the United States has proven that they are able to stand on their own. They have kicked the King of England out, and now they are doing their own thing. And uh, unfortunately at this time, because the U.S. is weak, the, they have a bunch of merchant ships sailing around the Mediterranean specifically around the area around what is presently Libya, and their ships are being raided constantly by pirates operating um, independently but kind of controlled by the Ottoman Empire, uh, but based out of Tripoli. And the pirates are raiding these ships, capturing the goods, enslaving its uh, sailors, and ransoming them for lots of money. And at one point, I think the... The, the ransom and tribute requests from the, the Tripolitan pirates uh, were about, I think, 25% of the U.S., the, the burgeoning United States, like, uh, national income. So it was a significant amount of money. And the U.S. basically created a navy from scratch to deal with these guys and also project power and might. And part of this was is the simulation of how the United States dealt with the pirates out of uh, Tripoli. And in case you can't figure out the teams, one player takes on the role of the United States and the other player takes on the roles of the Pirates. Pirates. Pardon me? Piratones. <laughs> yeah, that, sure. <laughs> pirates. And the, everyone has their own deck of cards and the cards uh, have events on them which are ranged from a little more complicated to very basic. Or you can discard the card to take two specific actions that are unique to each side. The U.S. can discard a card to move up to two frigates, or they can discard a card to build gunboats. And you have this beautiful little map that has three different types of areas. There's the open sea, there are harbors, and there are patrol zones. Some of these harbors are hostile to the United States, some are neutral or friendly, um, and some are allies to the, the pirates. So the United States wins by <clears throat> essentially forcing the pirates to agree to a treaty or seizing Tripoli entirely. And the pirates win if they seize 12 gold coins worth of stuff or they sink four U.S. frigates. And uh, that's the, the crux of the game is over four rounds and five turns. Uh, or I get, whatever way you want to say it, like there's four, four turns around or go on. Uh, the U.S. is trying to achieve these goals, and the Pirates are trying to achieve theirs. And you play these cards, and you fulfill the actions. So the United States is building these boats, and they get more of throughout the years, and they move them around the map, and they blockade ports. And every time the Pirates try to swoop out from the ports, the, you get a chance to intercept with your boats and try to blow them up. And if they get out, they roll more dice trying to steal gold from, the, <laughs> from invisible merchant ships. <laughs> and rush back to the shore, and you're trying to blow them up, and you're trying to build little armies to swoop in from the east. And uh, without going too far in the details, it is tremendously fun and 
uh, very simple. I don't want to call it light, but it's simple game that uh, by the oh, end, Tail and I like were both it. laughing. It, it, believe me, it, it's I'm making it sound way more complicated than it is. It's as simple as it. it it's very, very simple. And um, it, it, what what got me going was it made me want to read more about the, the the conflict. And I actually spent a little bit reading up on it afterward because I, I find it extremely fascinating. The and the actual history is very interesting as well. So, uh, but the the shores of Tripoli is a, a game that if anyone is looking for a a lighter a simpler, excuse me, two-player war game experience that can appeal to... It's almost like a gateway game. If you're trying to trick people into heavier stuff, I think this could be a great way to kind of move into... Um, move move them in the direction of crunch. Like, it I, sounds... Like, the way you were describing it, it sounds a lot like uh, Star Wars... Um, Rebellion? Rebellion, yeah. No, it, Rebellion would make that... If... If I had to weigh them, and I haven't played Rebellion, but I know what it is. Uh, if Rebellion is, um, like, let's call it, like, if Rebellion is like a 7 out of 10 as far as complexity goes, this <laughs> Shores of Tripoli is a 1. It, it's extremely okay, simple. And, and you're not, it's not area control in the direct concept of, like, there, there are little bits of that when you get into the army units, like the little cubes that represent the uh, Arab mercenaries and the marines swooping in to try to seize certain cities. But this, the rest of it goes that you're just trying to achieve objectives using the cards that you've been given, and there's special events that can make them easier or make them more harder, depending on what order you've played them and if you've been lucky or unlucky. And because there's a lot of dice chucking, there can lead to some, ver- some frustrations because the only hits are on sixes for causing damage, and the pirates can raid successfully on fives or sixes. So there's this re- neat little push and pull where the different aims are being achieved in different ways, and you can be watching that pile of gold stack up on your opponent's side while you're blowing up their ships, and you're, you're desperately thinking, oh god, when can I get things going? Like, how do I get this <laughs> to happen properly? And a lot of it, too, is based on certain years. You're not allowed to play certain cards before then. So there's a time element as well. So building up? Like, could you build up? Absolutely. Just spend some time just, like, making stuff? Yep, 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 yep. You can, and I did. And uh, it worked out to an extent. But in the end, uh, Kayla, on her last turn, stole two gold that she needed to win before it would have gone to a draw. So in the end, she, she snuck the victory out. And, uh, but it was a very satisfying conclusion regardless. So... Oh, so how do you draw? Uh, how do you draw? It's it's so you have a deck of each player has their own deck of cards, which is a difference between like let's say Twilight Struggle, where you can get stuck with opponents' events and whatnot. Um, yeah, so more like Water uh, Gate. <laughs> I guess it's close to Water Gate in that sense. And you you draw your six cards, and uh, you are only going to play four of them directly. You may play extras depending on certain cards, and then next turn draw six more. And then the last turn, uh, next turn, draw six more. And then after that, your deck will be empty, I believe. And then you shuffle them back in. And for the last turn, you get to draw any cards you want. So you basically build your turn. But you're not going to be able to choose stuff you discarded. Actually, there's one more turn. So there's going to be a period where you have stuff in your discard. And then you're going to go into your main draw and choose what you want. But anything you discarded will be gone. So you have to make some tough decisions considering the, the final turn. That's a little complicated. But basically, just keep it. Basically, just imagine the fact that you can perfectly plan your last turn minus whatever cards you played the previous turn. There's a little bit of programming. A little. I wouldn't call it programming. 
so far as that you can choose exactly what you want to do. So it's, it's uh, Robo it's, Rally. No, yeah, no! <laughs> your favorite, <laughs> my favorite game in the world, yeah. Robo Rally. Uh, anyway, that was that. That was Shores of Tripoli. So um, really, really enjoyed it. I can't wait to play it again. So, um, Joel, I know. I don't know. Do you want to? Do you want to move on to your D and D session with uh, your Tuesday group? Because I think you have some stuff to talk about there. Yeah, actually, it's kind of a cool story. So hold on to your ship ropes or whatever it is that you do with Salt Marsh. Sure. Um, this was a wild one. I mean, really wild. Like, I actually really enjoyed this session, I'll say. Like, Good. this was like a memorable session of D&D where it's almost like how often do you like think back to a combat and you're like, man, like three years from now, I'm going to think about that combat. It was that like crazy because like, it wasn't me just being Mr. Nice guy DM. I wasn't holding back punches. I was giving them the bloodlust. I was giving them the advantages. So I'll, I'll lay down the, the scene here. Um, spoiler alert for ghost of salt marsh. If you want to play the, the campaign, maybe, turn off our show at this moment so they're heading into the sawagin lair they're gonna go uh in the front door right they didn't mm-hmm. find the bottom door that they didn't dive down they didn't find any other entrances so they're just trying to get in the front door they rolled really high like 24 on a stealth check to po- peek in so i gave them sort of like the inside information mm-hmm. as to what's behind the door um, but that's all they've got. So they spend maybe 10, 10, 15 actual minutes discussing what to do. Okay. As a party. And I'm just sitting here and I'm just like, man, I should just have the lizards just come out and kill them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Like, not actually kill them, like start the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't just get away with 15 minutes of metagaming, right? But. You know, I, I I suppose that was generous. I let them have their plan, and their, their yeah. but their plan in the end was actually not very good. <laughs> so what they did it was it was creative for sure. Um, they all hid off the edge of the cliff. They were just kind of like hanging off the edge of the, of the cliffs. <laughs> oh like, no! Um, and then they started a really big fire on the edge of the on the edge of the cliff. Oh, and then okay. and nothing happened. So one of them went up and did like a knocky knocky nine doors. <laughs> like knock 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 and then ran off. Okay. So the champion comes out with a couple of Sawakin. I have them all real stealth checks and one of them gets like a four. So that person I said, Oh yeah, you you tried to, you know, um you know, blend in with the stones and you accidentally kicked a rock and you see it falling and it's going to hit the water and then last second it hits a rock and makes this big noise. They all turn to you, point their spears out, say something, you know, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they surrendered. I mean, that individual surrendered. Oh, wow. So the champion got out the manacles, clapped her in irons, and escorted her all the way through the lair. Oh so my she god! She did see everything, which yeah. was kind of cool. So do, hold on, but, did you stop and like have her go sidebar or? Yeah, side, well, each session. No, I told everybody. Like, I didn't oh, go okay. into a private chat. Could have done that, but uh, each time it got to her turn, I could 
to show them more of the map and you know the, the other guys that were the reinforcements and they see the gong being hit so they kind of like they became aware of the threat of the gong going off um but so it was kind of cool having her go through at the same time mm-hmm. and she was just playing it cool every turn i was like you want to do something she's like no i'm good I'm just going to stay here. Uh, so she got all the way to the prisoners. She got joined up with the prisoners. And they kind of like, you know, whispered down the line and everything. Said, you know, like, let's make a move. And the prisoners, you know, were game. And she's a spellcaster. She, she just starts dropping, like, fireballs and thunder waves and uh, shatters, like, all over the place. Just bam, bam, bam on all the guards. And then all the prisoners rush in. There's, like... 20 prisoners so you know even though the champions is killing one like one hitting every time eventually they're going to get overwhelmed just like zergling rush kind of thing you know yeah so that was kind of cool that was all going on on one side of the map on the opposite side of the map they're down a man they're not rolling well at all and i think i should sent you a picture of that so yeah it, was, it looked awful it was like three on seven coming out they rolled terribly. All the I wasn't holding back, so all the Sawagin ended up with bloodlust. I did nerf it slightly. It's basically like if anybody in the area is damaged, they roll an advantage. Okay. And instead, I made it specifically: if a Sawagin has damaged somebody, they roll an advantage. Hmm. So you have to specifically have hit that person as a Sawagin to get bloodlust against them, and that was a little bit more fair. And I think generally, I think I would just run them like that from now on. I was going to say, so not, not to jump in too much, but I almost would just, like, if they're attacking somebody who's got lower health, give them advantage rather than just... Um... Exactly, yeah. They have to be specifically attacking somebody who's actually had them hit them before. Because then they yeah. get the taste for the blood. That was yeah. my whole thing. Well, it's thematically, they, like, lick the blood and they're like, oh, oh, oh want some more of this. Yeah. And then they're extra ferocious. But it is pretty tough, because, like, for example, the champion, multi-attack, three attacks, all with advantage. You know. It's a lot. dice yeah. coming at you. And, like, Cetacea managed it pretty well, you know, with her 20 AC. But yeah. these guys are mostly 15, so it's pretty much a guaranteed hit every time. Ooh. Ooh. Painful. They're not, they're not doing a ton of damage, but as you can see in the thing, they wiped down to one guy. There was only a champion left and one guy, and he had four health. Oh, my God. Okay? And this is where it gets good, because this was one of the most clutch moments in D&D combat that I've ever seen. Yeah. And I did not, you know, like, let him do it. He was a rogue. So it's his turn, four health against the 54 health champion. What style rogue? Um, the, the stealthy one that can use bonus actions to disengage and stuff or is that all rogues that's all of them <laughs> i think he's a, he's an assassin okay there you go that's right because he does that mega sneak attack damage. The super first yeah yeah so he uses his bonus action disengage he runs away onto the rope bridge and then he pretends to jump off and wants to grab on the bottom of the bridge and hang there and hide okay cool and i think this is cool but this is tough i'm gonna give it a tough dc because it's a tricky acrobatic ability I'll make it 60. 16 pretty hard. Ooh. I was thinking 18 would be a bit harder. 18's almost yeah, ooh man. But I was going to I was going to give him 16. He got a 24. Oh. <laughs> this guy is a rogue, right? He's min-maxing yeah. the the heck out of acrobatics. Yeah. So, uh obviously he pulls it off. 
I still let the champion come up and make a perception check. He fails that. Uh, so the champion kind of looks around, looks at the people unconscious, goes inside and starts closing the gate, right? So oh, rolling the gate closed. <laughs> he's thinking, well, if he's gone, he's jumped off, like, whatever, right? I want to, like, his entire um, patrol was dead, so the champion yeah. was trying to protect himself, right? He was, he was not, he was a little rough himself. Yeah. So he starts rolling the gate closed, and then it's the rogue's turn. The rogue sneaks up, force feeds a potion to one guy, the guy that guy's next manages four speed of potion to the second guy. Now all three <laughs> of them are up with like, you know, four less health or whatever, but still. And then the rogue selflessly charges in, <laughs> gets himself knocked out by oh. the champion, but manages to do some wicked damage doing so. Mm-hmm. And then the champion, you know, now is in really rough condition, starts to run. And uh, the barbarian catches up to him and kills him. Oh, wow. Super cool fight. Uh, they all managed to come out of it alive. They, they're they pretty savvy to the fact that they're going to get knocked out now. So they have like six health potions each at all times. <laughs> but really cool, really cool end to the fight, right? Like he actually pulled it off in like a way yeah. that made sense in D&D. Uh, and they, you know, the the enemies that managed to hit the gong twice but not three times so they also stopped the reinforcements from coming mm-hmm. and meanwhile down on the south end this slave uprising is wiping the south end Sawagin so far and eventually they'll probably die but hopefully they'll meet up first so we'll see next week alright on that note we're going to have to end it because we're out of time but no I'm excited to see where you go with this campaign because I like <sighs> We've talked about this before, and with the the last couple seconds here, I just want to say that I I like when people think outside the box, do interesting things, and the the you as the DM let them try, and even though it was a tough role for them, they they still succeed and they're able to do fun stuff, and it's not just well, actually, rules of written. It's like no, 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 no. It's interesting. It's fun. It's creative. Do it. As long as it's not busting something or breaking something in a in a dumb way, do it. Oh, just have just fun. like what uh, I think Sly Flourish was saying, heroic actions. So, oh yeah, yeah. Or like even when they die, do yeah. let them die in a cool way, or like let it help their team in some way. Having fun. Okay. On that note, we're done. Androids Dungeon. See for you. Ca. Check us out on all your favorite podcasting websites. Join the Guelph Board Gaming Group. Check us on Twitter, 80 Radio CFRU. And shoot us an email at droiddungeonradio at gmail.com. Can never remember the CFRU one, but it's there. It's legit. It's real. I'm Jack. And that was Joel. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. <laughs> A little delayed reaction there. <laughs>